And yes, good morning to you once again. Thank you for staying with us this morning on GospelBellsRadio.com, your community Christian internet talk radio with a mission to engage the contemporary culture with the mind of Christ. It's Monday, the 13th of November, 2023. The program is on the Lord's side, Christian perspectives on news and current events. My name is Olufemi Oguntoku. You can follow me on Twitter at Olufemi OG. You can follow Gospel Bells Radio on Twitter at Gospel Bells Radio. I want to begin with this story, a sad story, uh, and it concerns, well, as far as we know for now, uh, a bit of uh, intrigue and perhaps persecution of the church, but we do not yet have the full details. This story says, gunmen invade church in Quara, kidnap clergyman, two others, and kill pastor's wife. Gunmen invade church in, in Quara, kidnap clergyman, two others, and and kill pastor's wife. And this is, a, this is as sad as it comes. It says the gunmen have killed the wife of an evangelical church winning all, Equa pastor, Mrs. Olawale, and kidnapped three others in Agbeku community in a fellow local government area of Quara State. It was gathered that the incident happened on Saturday night, November 11, 2023, when the abductors invaded the church's auditorium and the residence of the victim. The late pastor's wife operates a provision store in the area. A community leader, Honorable Rasaki Suber, who confirmed the incident to Daily Trust, said the gunmen also abducted one Reverend Oladuni, the present Ekwa Igbaja District Church Council Chairman. They killed, according to the uh, to the legislator who spoke to the press, quote, they killed Mrs. Olawale, wife of one of the pastors who operates a thriving provision store in the community, while another person who was also shot is battling for life in a hospital now. They also went away with the aid of the late pastor's wife and, an, and another male victim. We are trying to get details about the incident for now. That's according to one of the police officers in charge of the investigation. As I said earlier on, the details are still sketchy, but we are always concerned when matters like this, when incidents like this are reported, not only when incidents like this affect the church or affect God's people or affect people who identify uh, with the body of Christ, but when they happen at all anywhere. But in particular for us on this program, for us on this radio station, when they affect uh, God's people, when they affect the church, when there's an attack on the church, when there's an attack on people who identify with Christ. It is too early, I admit, to suggest or to form the view that this is another another example of of an attack targeted at the church it could just be part of uh, the menace of kidnapping uh, that has afflicted this country for a long time and which we have discussed over and over again on this program uh, whatever it is if it is another manifestation of this menace of kidnapping in our in our country we should be concerned we should be concerned we should be sad we should be calling the attention of government to it this is only to be swept under the carpet your life has been lost somebody's wife somebody's mom somebody's sister perhaps somebody's daughter somebody's friend uh, that woman uh, who i mean we do not know her uh, personally but she probably was was, was supporting so many people, either spiritually or economically. 
even if she was not, there is no justification uh, for, such, for such criminality to go unchecked in any decent society. There is no justification for any such uh, any criminality to go uh, unchecked in any decent society. And that's exactly what we have here. That's exactly what we have here, uh, that we have criminality going unchecked in this country. Let us continue to pray. Uh, that is our... Our mainstay, that's our mainstay as God's people, and let's continue also to speak out uh, against these things. These are the things that we expect Christian leaders to be saying, to be emphasizing when they speak uh, to those who are in authority. There are so many things going wrong, and I do pray that the Lord will continue to protect you and protect me and uh, all our loved ones from uh, the from the hands of these criminals, that the Lord will comfort those who have been directly affected but more importantly, that Lord, we visit this country. This is a country that needs healing, that needs healing. And, and that's our prayer, that that healing will, will reach us. We, we look forward to getting more details about this story, but, but keep uh, the, that pastor and the church members there and all the relatives, loved ones of the, of the murdered woman, keep them in your prayers. And let's hope that there will be investigations into this matter, that the investigations will be thorough and that we are going to fully understand what actually what actually happened in this matter. Okay, and next, we want to return to to a story uh, concerning the Catholic Church. If you were with us, if you were with us last week, you will recall that we discussed the matter uh, concerning the advisory or the directive or the guidance. Uh, the The document has been given different names uh, by different reporter on on the issues concerning the Catholic Church, but it's I think it's more properly called the guidance. The guidance issued by Pope Francis, who is the head of the Catholic Church, to Catholic bishops all around the world last week, advising them, directing them, guiding them to have no hesitation in baptizing transgenders, to have no hesitation in allowing transgenders to be named as godparents. Again, for the sake of emphasis, emphasis transgenders are those people who, although born as, as a particular biological gender, either as a male or a female, have chosen to identify as a gender other than uh, their biological gender. And according to that guidance, it is now allowed for transgenders to be baptized. So if a person appears before a church or a priest and says, well, I want to be baptized in the Catholic church, and but hey, you may see me and think that I'm, I'm male. Yes, I'm biological male, but I want to be referred uh, to as female. One of the uh, Catholic bishops in the U.S. who took exception to that said, well, yeah, we've we, we, we received the guidance, uh, but it is, not, it is not explicit enough. It should tell us how, it should tell us in what pronoun we should address such a person. And I love that question. It should tell us in what pronoun the priest should address uh, the transgender who has presented himself or herself to be baptized. Would the church then also become complicit in the madness, pardon my expression, in the, fo- in the folly of then calling a person by a pronoun other than uh, what pronoun has been has been 
given to that person by reason of birth, would the church also become complicit, complicit in that? And of course, in the matter of the godparents, the concern is, well, uh, you are entrusting you are entrusting newly baptized persons into the guidance, into the spiritual guidance of people who themselves, who themselves need spiritual guidance. I mean, that aside, uh, but now there are, of course, there are always consequences to these things. We have now read uh, that the Pope Francis has fired a bishop from Texas after that bishop criticized the reforms that Pope Francis is trying to see through at the Vatican. Pope Francis fires Texan bishop after criticism of reforms. And now this is bringing up questions, uh, questions that in an age was never raised, questions that were never raised in a, in a particular age in the past, questions that were not even contemplated in the past. And those questions would surround whether the Catholic Church would break at some point. Would the Catholic break? Would the Catholic Church break at some point? Uh, it is not difficult for many denominations to imagine uh, whether their denominations could break. Indeed, many denominations have broken up. And in the United States, for example, if in the U.S. you identify as Baptist, for example, in the U.S., uh, those who know would ask you very closely, whether you align with the Southern Baptist Convention or with the National Baptist Convention, and then there's, also, there's another Grace Baptist Convention. So there are so many uh, variants of Baptists in the, in the U.S., for example. And of course, in the Anglican Church as well, now we know that there is already schisms where there are a number of, 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 of Anglican churches or Anglican provinces who are not uh, in in full in full fellowship with the Church of England, and you have uh, so many divisions. Most of them brought about by doctrinal doctrinal differences. But it was at some point not conceivable uh, that that kind of division would also affect the Catholic Church. Yeah, and you would understand why it was not why it was difficult to contemplate such a situation for the Catholic Church. You would understand if you fully know the doctrines of the Catholic Church, uh, what is taught as part of the catechism of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is seen as the mother church is and, and has been taught to generations of, of Catholics like that. Uh, the mother church, the only church, the Catholics have been taught that all other churches who are not in communion with Rome are not churches by their, are, are not truly churches, and that in eschatological terms, the time will come when all those churches will come back together to be under the mother church, under the, under the authority of the of the pontiff of Rome. Of course, you know that uh, the Pope of the Catholic Church claims to derive authority from, from St. Peter. St. Peter the first, well, often regarded as the first Pope, the first Pope to whom, according to them, uh, Jesus handed over the church when he said on you, on you, uh, I shall build. I shall build my church. Uh, having said that, now it is appearing that uh, the time may actually come, perhaps in our own lifetime, when we are going to have uh, people who are veering away from the Catholic Church. You may, perhaps, in our own lifetime, we are going to witness Catholics living, uh, living, uh, living away from Rome and forming some other church, whether they would still call it Catholic would be debatable, but we do not know whether it will even happen. We do not know. See, you know things, just don't know how God works. This is Pope Francis who is trying to drive these reforms and, well, 
we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So it is always difficult to say about these things. I want to read this story. I'm taking this from BBC.com. And as I read this story, it was quite intriguing to find that the matters of the church and of the Pope is discussed in this manner. Uh, this is a, a man who has been seen by many commentators and observers as committed to seeing through some reforms in the church. And you have to wonder why uh, these reforms, I'm going to read it out now from this report, uh, why reforms described like this should be the priority of a person who claims to to represent God, who claims to descend from the line of authority of St. Peter, Peter himself. But now we read that Pope Francis has fired the Texan bishop, Joseph Strickland, a fierce critic who has questioned the Pope's leadership of the Catholic Church. The, the Vatican said the bishop would be relieved of his duties as a result of investigations as the diocese of Tyler. Bishop Strickland is a leading voice in a branch of U.S. Catholicism that is opposed to the Pope's reforms. His removal comes after Francis spoke of, listen to this, his removal comes after Francis spoke of the backwardness, backwardness of some U.S. Catholic church leaders. And I think we should, we should pause and reflect on this a bit. Uh, this is the classic expression uh, that is used as a label, as a label for those who would adhere to conservative Christian teachings, who would adhere to traditional Christian teachings, who would adhere to the faith once for all given to the saints. So you find nowadays uh, that those who would hold to the Bible and say, well, uh, I hold this position because that's, that's the Bible's position, or I disagree with this position because the Bible disagrees with those who would say that are now referred to as backward people. But, you know, if those labels were given by people outside the church, if those labels were given by, by secularists, uh, by unbelievers, by atheists, well, we would understand, right? We would understand and say, well, that is because you have not seen the glorious light of the gospel. Because for those who have not seen the glorious light of the gospel, the Bible and our Lord Jesus Christ would constitute a stone of offense. But now that label is coming from Christians, from other Christians who say, oh, you guys are backward because uh, you want to insist on, on the Bible as received. You want to insist on the gospel as given. But times have changed. Uh, and this should be concerning that the labeling is coming from Christians, those who profess Christ in the church, and more alarming that in this case, the label is coming from the Pope, from the Pope, from the Pope. Of the, of the Catholic Church. Again, I continue with the report. It says Bishop Strickland has launched a series of attacks on the Pope's attempt to update the Church's position on social matters and inclusion, including on abortion, on transgender rights, and same-sex marriage. We can pause a bit again and ask why would the Church's position on these matters need uh, any revision or updating, according to the, to the word used here. So it, it is no longer in doubt. Uh, the Pope uh, has always been a very coy person. With all due respect, he has always been a very coy person. Most times when he's asked about these matters, you find him winking and, and nodding and saying something, just giving signals until he finds an opportunity to write a letter or to give a guidance. And then you find 
you find a window into his soul. Uh, but it is clear that everybody agrees that he's trying to update the church's position on matters of abortion. Why would that need updated? The Catholic Church teaches that abortion, other than abortion done to save life, is is ungodly. Why would that need updating? Uh, transgender rights. The Catholic Church teaches that there are only two genders. I said in the Bible, male and female, he created them. Why would that need updating? And then same-sex marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and cling to his wife. The Bible teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman. Why would that need updating? Well, if you recall again something that the Pope said, and we, we reflected on that last week, where the, the Pope said, look, we need to, to review the church's theology. Theology in the past used to start, start from, well, what did God reveal about himself? Theology is a branch of knowledge that is about the knowledge of God, what we understand about God. And it has always been understood by Christians through the ages that theology of God should start from the point of what has God revealed about himself. Now it's been suggested that there should be a revision of Christian theology that should start from what are the lived experiences of people. Now that's the way we should start from what are people really living through, what are they really experiencing. Start your theology from that point. And anybody who thinks in that way would be the person who would also be thinking of updating the church's position on abortion, on transgender rights, and on same-sex marriage. So uh, this, this, this bishop who has not been fired by the Pope, according to this report from BBC, in July he warned that many basic truths of Catholic teaching were being challenged, including what he called attempts to undermine marriage as instituted by God. He criticized so many things. He wrote an open letter uh, in July saying that attempts to change that which cannot be changed would lead to an irrevocable schism in the church. Those seeking change, he warned, are the true schematics. They are the, true, they are the ones trying to break at the church. He was previously given an opportunity to resign, but he said, I cannot resign as Bishop of Tyler because that would, that would be me abandoning the flock. Of course, the reason being given by the Vatican for firing him uh, is not because of his opposition to the Pope's uh, reforms, but because the Vatican has said, look, there was an apostolic visitation and that uh, some anomalies have been noted in the affairs of his diocese and those uh, need to be investigated. That could be so uh, because we are not privy to the details of these things, but it will be sad, really, to be sad if at that level of the, of the papacy, if the Pope is complicit in a matter like this, if because uh, the Pope wanted to remove a, a bishop standing for biblical truth or opposing his reforms, uh, then the Pope is hiding under or investigations into the handling of financial matters at the diocese. That would be typical of what you would expect from politicians, right? That would be typical of what you would expect from politicians. That would be typical of what we expect from unbelievers, uh, people of the world who are uh, not only as wise as serpents, uh, but also do evil uh, like the like the serpents of this world. I wanted to bring this up just to update us on what is happening with the Catholic Church and for us to understand that there are people in the Catholic Church uh, who in the hierarchy of the church who are not sharing the same opinion with the Pope. And there's always a comfort. You see, the Bible teaches, at the intent of the Bible, uh, teaches that there, there has never been a time when there was 
no godly person in the world. There's never been a time where there was no godly person, uh, popularly called the remnant, uh, no godly person, no obedient person, no god worshiper. There has never been a time in history where there was none. There's never been a time in history where there were no one uh, who would stand up for the truth of the gospel, who would stand up for the glory of the Lord God Almighty. There's never been a time, there will never be a time. The Bible teaches that we will always have the remnant and the Lord will always keep for himself that remnant. And I hope you are numbered among the remnants in this generation. If you are not, you should. I pray that you will resolve that in this generation you'll be numbered among the remnant who would identify with God, who will stick with, who will stay on the Lord's side, who will stay firmly on the Lord's side. And I pray the Lord will give you grace. Indeed, what we know of a truth is that in the end, God wins. Okay, I also wanted to discuss the the story of this eight-month-old baby uh, who has been on life support for a while and in respect of whom UK judges, judges in the United Kingdom, have now ordered the parents to pull off life support, uh, pull off life support against the desires of the parents. And the reason why we're bringing this up is because we want to illustrate a fine point uh, that many people are missing in this in this discourse now this is indeed uh, a harrowing story uh, if you look at it from the viewpoint of of the parents and uh we sympathize with the parents truly sympathize with them and indeed uh sympathize and with anyone who is having to deal with uh any terminally ill infant or who has ever had to deal with one may the lord keep you comforted in the name of Jesus. Now, this news uh, item says, judges in the United Kingdom have doubled down on their mandate to remove a terminally ill infant from life support rather than allow parents to seek treatment at the Vatican. Justice Robert Peel ruled Wednesday that eight-month-old Indy Gregory was to be removed from a life-supporting ventilator on Thursday against the parents' wishes. An appeal in this case has been denied and the child is mandated to be removed from life support imminently. Now, it is that portion that says against the parents' wishes that I want us to, to reflect on. Now, I understand all the sides to this argument. There are some, some people argue, they say, look, if doctors have made a determination that this is uh, a terminally ill person, there should be no discourse any longer. And those uh, who support uh, that view, they tend to have influence on many judicial pronouncements in many parts of the world to t- today. They say if the experts, the medical experts, if they are pronounced that uh, it's a case of a terminal illness, if they are pronounced that there, that there is no medical reason to keep the person alive, if they are pronounced that they do not see the possibility of recovery for a person, that it would be a good time for... Uh, support to be removed uh, for that person to be allowed to die or uh, so on the other side people argue that no when you remove uh, life support you are not only uh, you are not allowing the person to die you are killing the person uh, the other side the, the other side argues that look uh, it has been revealed to us uh, by by the divine and we have the ability if we have the ability to keep a person alive we ought to do all that within our powers to keep that person alive and not just allow uh, that person to die. That to remove uh, life support is to kill 
I do not know where you stand on that. Uh, the other argument, again, I, I move to the other side. The other argument is that, well, if you say we should leave life support there, it's a waste of resources. That's another argument from, 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 the, uh, from those who support uh, just uh, removing life support when uh, a terminal illness has been diagnosed. So look, it's a waste of, it's a waste of resources uh, because resources are scarce, you know, economics 101. Resources are scarce, I mean, and you want to preserve them uh, that the ventilator that you would use uh, to keep that person alive, all the medication that you would administer could be administered to some other person used in the case of other people people who have a chance uh, at living. And the other party will say, the other side, again, I move to the other side of the argument, that's what they will say, well, see, as long as we are not depending on government resources, what if we are ready to fund it, that's the parents of the parents or the loved ones of the, of the patient, where they say, okay, we can understand about government being concerned about resources and scarce resources and, and using resources in the most a wise man, if you would say that, they say, look, what if we are ready to fund it? And in this case, these are, the, these are parents saying, well, we are ready to fund uh, the treatment of this eight-month-old eight old side. And then the other side will respond by saying, well, even that, even that, that you are ready to fund, we would prefer for the money to be used in some other way. The long and short is that, from a Christian point of view, the issue here is the issue of whether it is the government or the parents who should have a final say in matters like this. And that some people who genuinely, in good faith, suppose that it's the government that should have a final say in matters like this. It should not be the government having the final say in matters like this. When it comes to, when it comes to, uh, to a child, in all cases, in all cases, I think it aligns more with the biblical biblical teachings for parents to have the final say. In all cases, in all cases, in all cases, you do not want ever to have a society where the government has a say in matters like this. And of course, why should the parents have the final say? Parents should have the final say because, again. And I want to repeat something I've said over and over again. When you talk about the government, you're not talking about a person. You're not talking about, I mean, you're not talking about an artificial entity that is so wise and so knowledgeable and so rich that it can take good decisions. No, you're talking about normal human beings, normal human beings who have been imbued with legal authority to act on behalf of the state. That's why you call the government. Human beings like you, like me, who have been imbued with legal authority uh, to to act on behalf of others, and then we call them the the government. And the the uh, the most important part to note is that they are normal human beings, meaning that they are people who have their own views as well, who have their own beliefs as well. So if you have more secularists constituting a government, they are going. The government will be will be formulating policies that reflect a secular worldview. If you have more Christians in government, you would ordinarily expect that that government would formulate policies that will reflect the Christian worldview. So if your worldview is that, well, you have the resources, you should keep this person alive because you believe nothing is impossible for God uh, to do, uh, then as a parent, you would want to do that. But if it was left to the government and the government was populated by people who do not share such beliefs, then those, those would be the kind of policies uh, that you are going to have. Now, I understand that it is 
it is uh, a truly uh, intricate argument. Uh, you cannot just solve it uh, superficially, and that you have to look at every case on its own merit. I, I do agree with you. you. Have to look at, at each case on its own merit. You have to look at the nature of the diagnosis itself. You have to look at the uh, the the quantum of resources required to keep that person alive. So I do admit that you have to look at individual cases, but. I believe uh, that uh, the the trend where you have the government taking over a number of things, a number of decisions that should be made by the by parents is one that Christians should resist. Christians should resist. We should resist it by speaking to those who represent us in government. We should resist it by participating in government and Thank God for Christian uh, legal foundations who challenge matters like this in court in the UK and in many parts of the US as well. This, I think, this should be resisted. Again, you know that uh, this has been going on a long time now in, in terms of education, where that there is, I mean, there are movements in the US saying that parents should not have any say in what is taught to children in schools. And again, that government should have a say. Again, what is the government? The government is not that artificial entity that is all wise and can make good decisions. Uh, it, it consists of human beings who have their own beliefs uh, as well, who have their own beliefs. So these things should not be left to, to the government. It is the parents who should be taking the Again, I, I, again, I repeat it. It could be that in this particular case, the parents are not taking the, the right decision. It could be that they are affected by emotions. This would be the argument that would be made. But you know what? Uh, it is for those who think consequentially, you know that uh, you want a society where the position of the law is that it is the parents who take the final decisions on matters like this. Of course, when it comes to funding the medical treatment, if they're not able to fund it, that's another matter entirely. If they can appeal to people to donate and fund uh, the treatment, that's another matter entirely. I do not also suppose that Christians should come to a place where they say, once experts have made the diagnosis, then that is the end. No Christian should ever come to that place. In church yesterday, uh, the sermon was, uh, was themed uh, by the how Christians should react, the Christian attitude to terminal illness. And there is no person who is a Christian properly so-called who would deny that it is in the power of God, it is the power of God to confound the diagnosis, right, the diagnosis of the most versatile medical experts in the world. I do pray that the parents of this child in this matter uh, will find comfort and would find comfort indeed, and that the generation of them will increase who are always prepared, always prepared to advance the biblical point of view. Amen. Okay, recently I saw this on, on Instagram and it's a picture, a, a video rather, of a place. You look at that video and it looks like a dungeon and now we understand that it is one of the tourist attractions in Rome if you are a Christian visiting Rome. And of course, you know, if you are a tourist, and the places you would visit would be 
would be most likely if you're a tourist, you will be most likely informed by by your beliefs, uh, by the things that are uppermost in your in your heart. I mean, some people, if you were to visit Rome, uh, some would think of visiting, you know, the old. Uh, you, you want to visit the the Colosseum, the relics of the Roman emperors and those Roman senators, and those would be great places to visit as well. But uh, a Christian would also want to visit, for example. Uh, maybe you want to go to, of course, you want to go to the Basilica as well, to the Catholic Church. You want to see the Sistine Chapel. But also, you, if, you, if you knew that uh, you could see the prison, the prison, the last prison uh, that Paul occupied before he was killed, according to, uh, to what history teaches us to believe, would you not want to visit such a place? And this is uh, one of the popular... Uh, gospel voices on, on, on Instagram who wrote that, and I want to quote him, I accompanied this video, he wrote that the best thing we got to see in Rome, it was an unreal feeling to stand in the very last prison Paul was in before he was killed. The very last prison. We, we know that the book of the Act of Apostle ends with Paul being in prison. Uh, we, do not have a, we, do not, we do not have specific records in the Bible on what happened to Paul after what we read of in that book, him being in prison. But we know from, other, from the other letters he wrote uh, that he continued to languish in prison. We are led to believe by extra-biblical sources that he was subsequently killed was subsequently killed in Rome. Was subsequently killed in Rome. Now, this is the prison. The prison uh, videoed in this in this Instagram post where Paul was in before he was killed. There is a plaque there saying that it is believed generally by historians that that was the uh, prison where he was in. And look at that prison, quite cold, just uh, just concrete all around, and then uh, and then. A hole, a hole at the top where sunlight would come in, and maybe that's from where food would be let down to him, or himself would be let out uh, from time to time. But it is fascinating, right, that he wrote many of his epistles from that prison. From that prison, many people have said that the epistle to the Philippians was written from a prison cell, and that epistle to the Philippians is regarded as one of the happiest letters uh, or one of the joyful, uh, most joyful epistles, one of the most joyful, uh, joyful letters ever written. And is it not fascinating that such a letter was written uh, from a prison cell? What is also most clear is that is that the book of Second Timothy was written from his last prison cell. The book of Second Timothy was written from his last prison cell. And this person wrote saying that when they visited Rome, they went into that prison, they descended uh, into that cell, and that they all stood together. They all stood together and read all of chapter 1 of Second Timothy. Remember some of the uh, verses from that place? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind and again from that same from that same epistle and if we died with him we will also live with him if we endure we will also reign with him this man said we stood in here as a family and read all of chapter one of second timothy a moment that we will never forget and of course that's so instructive that 
uh, that uh, a moment was like that was shared. I'm sure that you would also want to have a moment like that. Not that it adds any credentials to you as a Christian, not that it makes you a better Christian in any way, but you know, it just solidifies your faith. And there's something about the Christian faith. It is by faith from beginning to the end. It is by faith from beginning But in addition to that, uh, there, are, uh, there are claims of the Christian faith that have been proven over the years, over the years, and that is why uh, the Bible continues to endure despite all the efforts, despite all the efforts made, e- efforts made by 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 critical analysts, by critical scholars over the years uh, to discredit the Bible. Uh, that is why the Bible continues to endure, to endure, and we give glory, give glory to the Lord God Almighty for the eternal truth of His Word. Finally, today. This fascinating story, enough is enough. Mom of five who wakes up at 4.30 a.m. to start shows, goes on strike, and ditches family. He says a woman who wakes up at 4.30 a.m. every day to take care of her husband, their five kids, her parents, and two dogs, has decided to throw in the towel in protest. Laura Ben Salem said she doesn't go to bed before 10.30 p.m. each day as she stays up taking care of everyone's needs. She said, I try to please everybody. I can't use that word no. Hmm. I can't use that word no. She has just featured on Channel 5, on Channel 5's new reality show called Wife on Strike. Our family was one of the three featured where the daily duties were managed by just one person, usually the woman. And, and of course, you pause here uh, to celebrate uh, women who are, who are homemakers, uh, women who take care of the family. And in, in fact, there are, I mean, any responsible woman, even if she has a day job, would be, uh, would be involved very closely in this. Even if that person is not the sole uh, homemaker, you expect the the mother to be to uh, to be responsible enough not to say no and uh, not to look away from when her any member of the family is in need indeed you don't expect the husband to look away as well uh, husbands are to to support and and to participate right in making the own but he cannot but acknowledge that uh, that women take the lead in matters like this. And this is a time for us to appreciate wives and mothers who do these things, who have done these things over the years, and to, to salute their generation, to to pray that their generation will endure, and to pray that God will continue to bless them. But in this particular story, we read of a new, uh, of a new reality show where such women are invited to go on strike, to go on strike. I do not know what uh, the producers of this show intend to achieve one of them would be probably to make uh, the people that these women take care of to more properly appreciate or more fully appreciate the role that these women play in their lives so they invite these women to go on strike and then they go about with video cameras to see how the family members would cope with the homemaker uh, being on strike and, and indeed that's a fascinating one right it's a fascinating one it will make for for an interesting tv production you know and you know many people are out there always thinking from day to day what to make uh, an interesting uh, tv production i came across one as well that i wanted to engage with but just so so abhorrent that i decided not to uh, not to bring it up here but see it's fascinating that uh, somebody that somebody has thought this up and said look women if you are the uh, if you are the one uh, who, who takes care of the family you cook for the family you 
you look after their welfare, you ensure that things are just in place in the family. Well, you go on strike and let them see, let them know. Let them know how important you are in their lives. And I think one lesson to learn from this is that it is so easy. It's so easy uh, for those who are taking care of to forget, to forget that uh, somebody is doing the hard work, right? It's so easy for people who are taking care of to forget that somebody is doing the hard work. I had something interesting recently where it was mentioned that, well, if anything is working, it is because some people are hard at work behind the scenes. If you see anything working, it is because some people are hard at work behind the scenes. If you go into a restaurant, a five-star uh, restaurant, and you find, you know, everything uh, top-notch, everything working like clockwork, uh, it is because there are people at work, uh, there are people who are hard at work behind the scenes. And somebody has said that if uh, your children don't appreciate hard work, what you do is that you take them out maybe to dine uh, in a fancy restaurant, uh, maybe dine once or twice there, and then afterwards, uh, maybe talk to the manager and let them see uh, behind the scenes. Take them behind the scenes and see what work goes on behind the scenes in the kitchen and other places just to get those fancy hotels running. If you go, just go to any place, let them first visit the fancy areas where they say, oh, this is such luxury, or maybe to an engineering firm, first go uh, on a yacht, uh, go uh, on a on a trip in, in, into the airplane, let them see the pilot cockpit, and then take them to the engineering site and let them have a feel of what is actually happening and the people who are getting things to work. Long and short is for us on the Lord side, we must never be people who forget that we are kept because. There is a father, there is a father up who takes care of us. Yesterday on on the Reader's Club meeting, uh, there was this parable of the of the hen and the chicken. And the interpreter was saying to the protagonist in the in the story to Christiana, what do you notice about the chicken, about the chickens there? And she said, the one thing I noticed is that the chickens there, uh, they they put their beak to the trowel to take water, but after every intake of water, they look up. They look up. What, what, I mean, what were they trying to do by looking up? I mean, that's to symbolize that well, they get refreshed and they look up uh, to God, the provider of the refreshment. It is only the fool who says, I take care of myself. It's only the fool who says, uh, well, I have nobody to thank. I'm working hard and, well, I'm putting things in place for myself. The wise person knows that all good things, all good things around us come from the Father above. And we do submit ourselves. We abandon ourselves to his gracious governance today and all the days of our lives. Thank you very much for staying with us this morning on Gospel Best Radio for On the Lord's Side, Christian Perspectives on News and Current Events. Whatever you do today, please remain family on the Lord's Side. God bless you. God bless you really good. You are listening to GospelBellsRadio.com, the Christian internet radio with a mission to engage the culture with the mind of Christ. Keep listening and invite others, too. God bless you. Engaging the culture with the mind of Christ. Engaging the culture with the mind of Christ.